Well, today we will go ahead and take a look at Exodus chapter 18. So please go ahead and open your Bibles up there. Exodus chapter 18. And we'll go ahead and we'll jump right on into verse 1. It says, And Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now, many times you've heard me speak of Israel as a people group, right? Here we see that the Bible states that Israel is his people, God's people. Of course, these people descended from one man, we know, as we've studied through Genesis. They descended from Jacob, who later had his name changed by God to Israel. And that man, as you'll remember, had um, 12 sons, from whom came the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, today, of course, when most people, most modern-day people think of Israel, they think of the nation of Israel. But within that nation, the nation of Israel, there is still a remnant of the people of God. Not every citizen of the nation of Israel today is of that remnant, of that people of God. In other words, just because their citizenship is in Israel, it doesn't make them of the Israel that the Bible speaks of as we go through it. Israel itself is a very secular nation, much like the United States, not necessarily a God-fearing nation. Although when we think of Israel, we think of it as the Holy Land, which indeed it is, but I'm saying, but the people there are not all committed and submitted to God. So when we talk about Israel, as we've been going through the Old Testament, uh, it's, it's easy to kind of get confused and confuse it with the nation of Israel as we know it today. But again, the Bible speaks of this people group here, and we see um, God calling them his people in his word. And God has not cast off those people. God's desire for that people is the same that it is for every Gentile as well. In other words, every Jew and every Gentile, it is God's will and God's desire that they would come to faith in Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. Again, remember, we're studying about this group of people, and ultimately, this group of people is going to lead to the Messiah. We're going to see that the Messiah comes out of this group of people, the Savior of the world. But today, He is the Savior of the, of the entire world. He is the Savior of both Jew and Gentile right? So the true Israelites, even though that, even those that remain today, must somehow and some way, they must come to faith in Jesus Christ. And they indeed will. The Apostle Paul talks about this fact in his letter to the Romans. Now, I plan to discuss that topic more in depth someday as time allows, but I am simply pointing out to you here this morning from verse 1, that Israel, we see, is the people of God. That's that group that we've been studying about, His people. And, you know, in the Exodus that we've been reading about was an, indeed an amazing miracle 
of God for what he did on behalf of his people. And we studied all of that, how Moses had the battles and things like that with Pharaoh or you know, had to go back and forth with Pharaoh to get this people set free. And all of, all of the works that God has done, we, we've seen those works as we've been studying this. And all the news of this, all the, the, the wonderful news of the, this mighty work that God has been doing has gotten back to Jethro. The news of it has gotten back to Jethro. Moses' father-in-law here. And then verse 2 says, Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back with her two sons, of whom the name of one was Gershom. For he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. And the name of the other was Eliezer. For he said, The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Okay, so we see a couple of things here in these verses. First of all, we see there in verse 2 that Moses had sent his wife and sons back to be with her father, the children's grandfather. If you remember back when we studied chapter 4 of Exodus, there was a dispute between Moses and his wife over the circumcision of their son Gershom. And Moses probably had enough on his hands to deal with um, as he had to go forth and deal with Pharaoh, that he didn't need to have his wife with him at this time, whom he may have been at odds with. Not only that, but of course, with the dangerous work that Moses was involved in, in facing Pharaoh and trying to bring this people group out of bondage and slavery, it was best for his wife and children to be back in a safe place. The other thing we see in these verses, though, is that Moses' first son was named Gershom. The name Gershom means stranger there. That's what it means, a stranger there. So remember when Moses ended up in Midian, where his father-in-law is from, right? It, how, how he got there was it was the result of him fleeing for his life from Egypt. He had killed a man while trying to stop that man from being beaten as a, as a slave, right? He was trying to stop that man from being beaten, right? It was a Hebrew slave that was being beaten. So Moses intervened and ended up killing this guy that was beating the other guy, right? So he ended up fleeing from there and he ended up in Midian where he stepped, when he got there, he ended up stepping in the middle of a dispute between Jethro's seven daughters and some local shepherds. When Moses arrived in Midian, that's what he came upon. These seven women were having this dispute with these shepherds, and he stepped in and, and you know, intervened in that as well. It was a dispute over water, and Moses intervened on behalf of the women. And as a result of this, Jethro, the father of the girls, right, he opened his home up to Moses so that Moses would have a place to live. But Moses knew that he was a stranger in the land of Midian. So after marrying one of Jethro's daughters, he named his first son Gershom, stranger there. That was the the meaning of his name. Then his second son, we see here, was named Eliezer, in honor of the fact that God had spared him from the sword of Pharaoh. In other words, he fleed, you know, after killing that man, you know, standing up for another man, 
He fleed from Pharaoh. God had spared him, so he named his son in honor of that. Now, what what stands out to me about all of that here this morning is it's um, pretty cool how Moses and a lot of people of God that you'll read about in the Old Testament, how they honored God in so many different aspects of their lives. That's what you'll read as you go through the Bible. People would honor God with their lives. In, in this case, the naming of their children, for example, right? He named his children a certain thing to honor God with, with his children. Uh, I think it's sad if we don't honor God with every aspect of our lives today, right? Today we know that by the blood of Jesus, through faith in Him, we are the children of God in whom the Spirit of God dwells. Every aspect of our lives today should be committed to and should honor Him, should honor the Lord. Our marriages, our child rearing, our friendships, our work ethics, right? Our relationships. In Him, the Bible says, we live and move, and have our being. So he should be honored in every way in our lives, right? You know, when we get bogged down with the worries and the cares of this life, and we fall into the trap of living a keep up with the Joneses lifestyle, right? We're truly missing out on so much. When we allow our minds to be consumed with the things of this world, the ways of this world, we can so often miss out on the ways of God that are so simply portrayed to us in the Bible. And God wants us to honor Him in all of our ways, you know, to commit all of our ways unto Him. You see, the Lord, I've said this in the past, but the Lord should not be just a part of your religion, which is a part of your life, but rather the Lord God should be your life. And that's what I see with the way when when I read about how Moses named his sons here. It makes me just think about how they honored God with everything that they had during those days. Today, you know, and I'm not knocking it, don't don't get me wrong, but people come up with some crazy names for their kids today. Well, what's that mean? Oh, I don't know. You know, but in those days they would honor God the Lord with what they named their children. And not only that, every aspect of their lives. And I'm simply pointing out that we who have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, we should honor the Lord in everything that we do, in in all of our ways, right? Verse 5 continues and says, And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. So again, if you've ever wondered where Moses, uh, where his wife and children were during all this time while he was out working for the Lord to free the children of Israel, they've been at home with Moses' father-in-law, Jethro. And we're told here that Moses was now encamped at the mountain of God, which is Mount Sinai. And, And we'll be discussing more, seeing more about that as we go on. But verse six says, now he said to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am come to you with your wife and her two sons with her. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other about their well-being, and they went into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law 
all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them on the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. Then Jethro rejoiced for all the good which the Lord had done for Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods for in the very thing in which they behaved proudly, he was above them. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and other sacrifices to offer to God. Now, I just read a lot there, but I want to pause right there for a few moments and talk to you about something that we just saw take place here in these verses. Moses here took the time to sit down face to face with Jethro, his father-in-law, and share with him all of the mighty works that the Lord had done in the lives of Moses himself and the children of Israel. Moses was in effect uh, giving Jethro a testimony of the goodness of the Lord. Here's what the Lord has done. Here's what the Lord God has done. And he told it all to Jethro. And I, as I was studying for this, I, the question came to my mind, you know, for all of us, have you, have you ever thought about doing this in the life of someone else that you know? Just sitting down face to face with them and sharing with them the mighty works of the Lord. You see, if you have come to Christ, then you have a testimony of some sort. How did you come to Christ, right? What took place in your life that, that led you there? What was going on inside of you that brought you to that place, place where you came to Christ, right? How did that take place? And after you came to Christ, what changes did you begin to see in your life? What have you noticed the Spirit of God doing in your life since you've come to Christ, right? So there's, there's plenty for us to share with someone else, something that will cause them to think about the goodness of the Lord and to cause them to start to think about the Lord themselves, right? Something that may bring them to a place in their lives that causes them to say, blessed be the Lord, like we see with Jethro here after Moses sat him down and told him of all the goodness of the Lord. You see, the Lord wants our eye to be single. That is to have a, a single focus on Him alone as Lord of all, right? And here we see Jethro come to a place where he realizes that the Lord God is above all gods. In this world, right, the people of this world, whether they will admit it or not, have many other gods. The God of mammon, money, right, for example. That's the God that many people trust in. The God that they see as their provider is money. Or it may be the, their work. The examples of what people trust in other than the one true God, the examples are endless and go on and on. People trust in, in themselves and such, right? But we must understand that there is a power, a very real power beyond, behind all of that deception. Anything that is distracting people 
and taking their minds off of the one true God, there is something behind that, okay? And I'd like to, to, what I'd like to do here is just spend a little bit of time here this morning reminding you of what that power is, or more specifically, who it is that we need to be aware of so that we ourselves don't fall into the deception of following in the ways of false gods, other gods. Again, I'm building all of this off of the fact here that Jethro just simply says, blessed be the Lord God. And, and, and Jethro sees that God is above all gods. And sometimes we may say, well, who are all the other gods? Well, it's all the things that people put their trust in in this world, right? All the things that they would put up above the one true God, okay? So, so again, so Jethro, as a result of Moses sitting down with him here, testifying of the power of the Lord, Jethro seems to be greatly impacted here. And your lives can have the same effect on others if you will take the time to do so. But what is it that keeps people distracted from knowing God? Well, I want you to look at some scriptures with me here. Let's mark this page and let's first turn to the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter 4. And let's just go ahead and start reading in verse 1. This is the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter, and he says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Now, this is what I brought you here to see. There are people that are perishing spiritually. And why are they perishing? Well, verse 4 says, Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So there is a God referred to here in these verses as the God of this age, Satan. People are under his power in this world because they will not believe the gospel, which if they did believe, then the glory of Christ, the very image of God, would shine upon them if they came to believe the gospel. But something or someone is blinding people's eyes, blinding people's minds from the gospel. Back in Exodus, as a result of Moses sharing a testimony with Jethro, Jethro came to believe in the one true God. Today, there is only one way to eternal life, 
And that is through faith in Jesus Christ. But people must hear the gospel. The same gospel that changed your life. The good news about Jesus Christ and what He has done for you. People need to hear that gospel. People need to be sat down and it needs to be explained to them and taught to them what Christ has done for them. But before we move away from this topic, let me show you a a few more scriptures. Let's turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Just a couple of books to the right from where we are. After 2 Corinthians here, you'll find Galatians, then Ephesians. Okay, Ephesians chapter 2. And let's just um, start reading at verse 1. It says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So right here, we see a part of your testimony, a part of my testimony. We were once dead in trespasses and sins. We were once led by Satan, referred to here as the prince of the power of the air, the God of this age that blinds the eyes of people from receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we must be aware that Satan still roams around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He still is blinding people's eyes today from the glorious light of the gospel. But there is power in your testimony. There is power when we sit down and we just share with others, this is how I came to this place in my life where I am now. This is why I believe in God. This is why I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is how it happened for me. There's power in that testimony. Now, let's turn to the Gospel of John. So back to the left from where we are here, Matthew, Mark, Luke, then John in the New Testament. We're going to look at John chapter 12. John chapter 12. We're going to look down at verse 27. Jesus is speaking of the fact now that the time has come for him to die for the sin of the world, be buried and be raised again from the dead. That's what Jesus is discussing here. But then in verse 27, he says, so John 12, 27, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, Glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. 
Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thunder. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. So let's talk about these verses. Right? So we've looked at a, a couple of scriptures regarding Satan, the prince of the power of the air, the God of this age. And Jesus says in verse 31 that the ruler of this world will be cast out. But how is Satan, the ruler of this world, cast out? Doesn't he still do today what he's always done in deceiving the people of this world? Well, yes, he does. His final day has not come yet, but because of the fact that Jesus was lifted up, that is because of the fact that Jesus died on the cross, he was raised up on that cross, people no longer have to be under the power of the ruler of the world the God of this age, the prince of the power of the air. People no, no longer have to be under his power. People can now be set free in Jesus Christ just as you were when you came to Christ. You are no longer under the rule of Satan. Right? I'll come back to that in just a few moments, but let me show you some more uh, scriptures that speak to the fact that people are still under the power of Satan when they're not in Jesus Christ today. Let me turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Here we are, are given instructions on how we should be living. But I'm not going to go over those verses right now. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, I just want to jump, jump down uh, at verse and look at verse 25. So 2 Timothy 2.25. It says, In humility, correcting those who are in opposition. That's one of the things that we should be doing. And why should we be doing this? If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. And that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. You see, it's unfortunate in our day and age what our uh, society has come to is they call people that will reach out to somebody in love, right, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They call it hate speech. If you speak against somebody's preferences, right? Because of the sinful life that they choose to live, if you step up and speak against it or stand for the word of God, they're labeling it as hate speech, okay? And that's Satan's work of trying to prevent people from coming to the gospel, that the light of the gospel won't shine on these people. But we're supposed to, in humility, as it says in verse 25 there, so in a humble way, we're, we're supposed to correct those that are in opposition to God. 
in opposition to the word of God. Why? So that God will perhaps grant them repentance so that they might know the truth. They have to repent. Just like anybody that comes to Christ has to repent of sin and that they may come to their senses, it says, and escape what? What's, what, what are they escaping from? The snare of the devil because they've been taken captive by him to do his will. And guess what? When we were without Christ, we were all once there walking in those ways with our minds blinded to the truth of the gospel, blinded to what God really wants for us and his will. We were in that snare as well. So people that do not know the truth of the gospel, they have been taken captive by Satan to do his will. Again, this is the who we've seen here, the prince of the power of the air. I showed you that scripture. He is the God of this age. And Jesus said he is the ruler of this world, this world's system, right? Don't think of him as God above all else, but just this world system, the way everything runs and the way everything is. A lot of people like to blame all the bad things that happen and the evil things that happen. Why did this happen? And they blame it on God. And they curse God for certain things that happen in their lives when he has nothing to do with it. What God has to do with this is you being redeemed out of this world and coming to Christ and walking by faith in him and fixing your eyes on him, right? But Satan is deceiving people with all kinds of philosophies, all kinds of ways of thinking. And he's a master. The, the Bible in Genesis calls him cunning. He's very cunning. He can twist things around. He can say, well, you know, these people over here, they're living this lifestyle and they're doing this kind of thing. It's okay. Just leave them alone. They love each other. It's, it's okay. But is it okay with the word of God? You know, and that's how we look at things. Is it okay with the word of God? Is it okay with the will of God? right? But when we do this kind of thing, we're supposed to be people of love. We do it with humility. And we realize that we were once in lost and under the snare of Satan ourselves. So we reach out to people with love. But the worst thing we can do is let them remain in their sin. Let them remain there because someday they will be with Satan for all eternity if they remain there, right? So again, the power of your testimony though, no matter how simple you may think it is, can have an impact on the lives of others. Why am I pointing all of this out to you and the ways of the world and and, and people blinded to the gospel? Because you have power to change that through the simplicity of what Christ has done in you or is doing within you. You may not think, well, I'm not there. I'm not, well, I'm not there either. I don't even know where there is. I'm not there. But I will share where I am with people. And that's why I do this. That's why I teach the Bible like this. Because I want to share what God has done. Not only in the power of His Word in my life, but as we look and we read what He, he did throughout all of history by His power, Right? So in addition to your testimony, in addition to the things that you can share with people, there's also all of this that is found within the Word of God that you can learn and point people to 
and you can share it with others. And you know, as a teacher of the Word of God, I have no greater desire. You, you have no idea how much it goes on within inside of me that as I share and as I do what I do, um, I want to see you grow. And I want to see you go out and share it as well with your, within your circle of influence, right? Are, are you learning about the Lord? If so, then don't keep it inside. Spread it to others. Show them what is in the Word. Show them what you're learning. Show them the impact it's having on your lives. Let them see the work that He is doing within you. And you know, of course, I post all of these teachings on the internet, and maybe you can let others know about these teachings. Maybe you can share it with them that they're out there, right? If these teachings help you in any way, shape, or form, then let others know about them. Now listen, I don't think very highly of myself as a teacher. There are plenty of others out there far more worthy of listening to than me, but I'm just saying that it's important that in some way or another that you share this truth, the truth of the Word of God, that is, with others, right? The testimony of Moses in, in Exodus has a great impact on his father-in-law, right? And so will your testimony have a great impact on the lives of others as well. Let's go ahead and flip back now to Exodus chapter 18. And we'll pick it up. We'll continue on where I left off in verse 12. And Aaron, it says, came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses, his father-in-law, before God. And so it was on the next day that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. Now Moses wasn't teaching the people here. And they were standing before him, though, all day long. He was judging the people here. People that had problems, disputes with one another. All day long, they were coming and standing before Moses to have this matter or that matter judged. From morning till evening, that's what the Bible's telling us here. From morning till evening, Moses constantly had people coming before him and standing before him that he was judging. Okay? Now, this was a, burden, a burdensome task for Moses. And verse 14 says, So when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, What is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit and all the people stand before you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a difficulty, they come to me and I judge between one and another and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. So again, there we see what is actually taking place here. One has a problem with another and Moses, according to the statutes of God and God's laws, he judges them, this problem, this dispute, right? You and I don't have this kind of things in our lives today from a spiritual standpoint, right? There is no Moses that judges us in accordance to God's law because we are not under the law today, 
We are under grace. The Spirit of God now indwells us and intercedes for us. I, as a pastor and a Bible teacher, have no place in your life to judge matters between you and another. In other words, you're not supposed to lift up a pastor and put him above you know, everything else, right? I, along with others in the body of Christ, can guide you in the ways that are written in the Word. You may come to me and ask me something about the Scriptures, and I can say, well, read this. Seek the Lord and pray, right? Because you yourself need to yield personally to the leading of the Holy Spirit. So there's no Moses type thing in our lives today, right? But back at this point in time, this is how God was doing things through Moses. But there was a lot of people for Moses to judge. Numbers, the book of Numbers, uh, chapter 1, verse 46, records that there were 603,550 men alone, 20 years and older, that were a part of this group here that's with Moses. Over 603,000 men alone over the age of 20. That's what the book of Numbers records were with them at this time. So that's not counting women and children. Okay, so there's a lot of people here, a large group of people. So I'm sure this task of judging them was very burdensome for Moses alone. So then in verse 17, it says, So Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing that you do is not good. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out, for this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it. By yourself. Now, personally, I think that this is just simplistic, good advice from Moses' father-in-law here. There, there must be a better way. It's, it's not going to be a perfect way because later we'll see Moses cry out to God that it's still too much for him to handle. We'll see later on in the study that Moses will cry out to God, this is too much, all that he has to do here, right? But for now, this seems like good advice that Jethro gives to um, Moses here. And he's about, we're about to see the details of it. In verse 19, listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God. And you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. So Jethro says here, look Moses, you're still going to be the one that teaches the people and shows them how they should live in accordance with God's laws. And the difficult matters, all of the difficult matters will come back to you, Moses. But Jethro continues in verse 21, moreover, you shall select from all the people able men such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. So he's telling them, break up the work, divide up the work here, right? 
And let them judge, verse 22, let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. So it will be easier for you, for, for they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all this people will also go to their place in peace. So again, this just seems like very good practical advice from Jethro. Was it really though? There is some debate over that, right? Up until this time, Moses was listening to God himself and only taking advice from God himself, right? So there's some debate as to whether this really was good advice. As I read it, I just read it from a very practical sense and see it seems that that Jethro was just trying to help give him some organization here, right? right. But nonetheless, we what we do know from what we read here is that Moses did listen to Jethro because verse 24 tells us, so Moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. And Moses chose able men out of Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. So they judged the people at all times, the hard cases they brought to Moses, but they judged every small case themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went his own way to his own land, his way to his own land. So here's my conclusion to today's teaching. God has worked in one final way in these last days. We're not living now in this time of Moses. We're living now in what we refer to as the last days. There's only one mediator today between God and man. Between us and God, there's one mediator and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one and only Redeemer for all of mankind today, whether Jew or Gentile. There's no Moses between you and God. No priest, no bishop, no elder, no pastor, no Bible teacher. Okay, Christ is in you, and Christ is your hope of glory. By His Spirit, He has made His home in our hearts. You came to the knowledge of Him through the gospel in some way, shape, or form. Someone preached it. Somehow you heard it. Somehow you came to believe Jesus Christ. Someone teaching the Word to you. That is why God has placed in the body of Christ apostles like Paul, Peter, James, and John, right? That wrote down all that they wrote down. He's got, he put prophets in the body of Christ, people that point the way to Jesus Christ and His work in the world. There are evangelists that take the gospel message to the masses, and there's pastors that shepherd people to Christ, teachers that expound on the Word of God and teach people, right? But again, in all of this, There is no one man between you and God other than Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ has begun a good work in you, and He will be faithful to complete it. But all along the way, you have the Holy Spirit within you, teaching you, guiding you, 
and purifying you. The question is, is are you continuing to grow? Is your focus on the Lord? And be careful not to allow the God of this age, the prince of the power of the air, Satan, to distract your mind and put it back on the things of the world. Right? We need to stay focused on the things of the world, of the word, excuse me. And all along the way, you can share these wonderful things that are being done within you with others that cross your path. Right? So take the time to sit down with people. Sit down with someone and tell them of the Lord Jesus Christ. Share the gospel with them. The gospel that changed you and still is changing you. Right? Your testimony can have a tremendous impact. And if you haven't come and completely surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, well, then there's no time like the present, right? Today can be the day of salvation. Your day to make a testimony to the glory of God and to surrender your life to Him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you again for this new day, for this new year, and for your mercy that is new every morning. For your faithfulness and your goodness, Lord. So often we can find that as we go through this life, we can easily get distracted. So easily get bogged down and weighed down by the the worries of this life, Lord. and, And we can find ourselves focused on things that we should not be focused on, Lord. I pray for all of us here and all of those listening to this teaching, Lord, in whatever part of the world they're in, Lord, that your will would be done, God, that we would commit our ways to you, that we would honor you in all of our ways, in every aspect of our lives, Lord, that we would honor you, that our lives would would be a living testimony of your grace and of your goodness, and that people will will look at us and and see you by the way that we live and by the words that we speak, Lord. We just love you, Lord, and we know that we love you only because you first loved us, Lord. So we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for this day of life and this time together in your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.